Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Appropriate Omnivore on Green Earth Radio. We've got a great show for you today. We continue Independence Month with Rory O'Dell, General Manager for the soon-to-open Burger Lounge in Beverly Hills. Plus, our desserts will tell you how to live appropriately for the upcoming week. But first, let's go to our appetizers and find out what happened this week in the world of real food. Natural News has obtained documents which show that the raw milk raids on Rossum Foods last year were executed in part by private citizens illegally pretending to be authorities. The people posing as police officers and prosecutors could be liable for millions of dollars in criminal and civil damages for their armed robbery, destruction of property, and criminal kidnapping and violation of rights of Rossum Food owner James Stewart. The raid last year was a huge violation of our rights to fresh milk, and hearing that this wasn't even performed by actual officers of the court makes the outcome all the more wrong. Also, the government has announced that baby bottles and sippy cups can no longer contain BPA. In October, the American Chemistry Council asked the Food and Drug Administration to phase out rules allowing BPA in those products since they contained the chemicals used to make BPA and had great health hazards. This is great news in the movement of a BPA-free America. I'd like to see BPA outlawed altogether. This is certainly a start. Next, Los Angeles resident Rob McFarland launched a grassroots campaign a year and a half ago to allow beehives in residential areas. Now he has support from eight councils and a formal study initiated by a city councilman. As our bee population is rapidly shrinking, allowing bees to be raised in people's backyards is a great idea and disappointing to hear that it's currently illegal in L.A. Next, Costco joins the growing list of retailers and restaurants asking suppliers to phase out using gestation crates for pregnant sows. Costco has sent letters to all of its pork suppliers urging a phase-out of the small pens by 2022. The continual reporting about these companies working on eliminating the cramped quarters for pigs is a great step in the right direction for all meat becoming pastured. And finally, scientists at the University of Washington say climate change can have a big effect on milk production. Hot, humid weather can cause dry production to drop off. We continue to see new effects of climate change every day, and this might not be limited to cows. The Washington researchers plan to examine other farm animals as they study pigs next. And now for our main course. As most of you know, July is all about celebrating our independence. For the appropriate omnivore, that means independent businesses. This week, the area of business we're tackling is restaurants. As an appropriate omnivore, I love a good burger. Burgers are a food that I've loved as a child and still continue to enjoy as an adult. Burgers, however, are also one of the foods that are the most vilified because of the large chains that use the most unnatural and unsustainable ingredients. The largest restaurant chain is McDonald's, and Burger King and Wendy's fall in at number four and five, respectively, on that list. These fast food companies sell us burgers with factory farm meat, vegetables sprayed with tons of chemicals, fries cooked in unhealthy oils, and sugars added to many of their products. But in the last few years, we're seeing more restaurants offering burgers with grass-fed beef, fresh organic vegetables, and other healthy ingredients. One of the most successful restaurants at offering grass-fed burgers is the Burger Lounge. It started in San Diego and now has five locations there. Burger Lounge set up camp in L.A. at the end of last year with its West Hollywood location, and next Wednesday, the long-awaited Beverly Hills shop opens. 
Here to talk with me about the latest news from Burger Lounge is general manager of the Beverly Hills restaurant, Rory O'Dell. Rory, great to have you here. Thank you, and I appreciate that. Thanks. Certainly, I know as you're beginning to open, it's got to be a busy schedule, but we appreciate you having here because we certainly have you know, we, we have a great love for the Burger Lounge on this show. I mean, um, Adam Ranella, who manage, general manages the West Hollywood location, he was our, the first guest we had on this show back in February. And so since then, you know, certainly we've done a lot. You know, Programador has gone on to a lot of success. Burger Lounge in L.A. has gone on to a lot of success. So we love it that now we have, before the one opens, that we're able to cover it in our show. And I think it's very fitting that it opens in what we call Independence Month. Definitely. You know, I think this show is a great platform for what our um, what our restaurant group really was, is trying to do and trying to revolutionize the fast casual market with serving fresh or authentic, handmade, homemade food that you know that it's coming from you know a single source ranch with our grass fed beef, or we offer free range turkeys now from a step up from natural turkey. In addition to that, we offer organic greens in our salads and organic quinoa in our veggie burgers. So definitely this is a show we would love to, um, you know, spread our message on. Right. Well, we're glad to have you here. And, yeah, I love that, you know, it gets even more sustainable with um, improving the turkeys. And also I think the uh, the quinoa salad is a great addition for people that you know, want something vegetarian but also want, like, a non-sandwich, I think, is excellent offers. Now – Tell the listeners a little about your story because I think it's such a wonderful story about how you got to where you are. Uh, about Burger Lounge or about the Beverly Hills location? Oh, about your um, about your work in the Burger Lounge where you started. Oh wow, yeah, you know, it's, they've um, this company is very business oriented with teaching you how a business is, is is run. And coming out of college, I didn't have many options. Uh, as a humanities major um, in, in college, uh, you basically can teach or um, find work along those lines. So um, got out of college, um, applied on Craigslist like most um, graduates do, and was hired on as an hourly employee. And within a few months, I became a manager. And uh, with hard work and a lot of time and effort, uh, became a general manager within uh, 11 months. And since then, they've taught me so much about hospitality, um, about genuine service, and about serving authentic foods that will make people feel good. And uh, it's been a a great ride so far, and we're expanding into L.A., and uh, we're really excited to to be up here to have the new era of Burgerland in Los Angeles. Right, and now you were also involved with the opening of the West Hollywood location? Um, Correct. Um, Adam Ranella, the the general manager here, um, we were also co-managers in our Little Italy location in San Diego. And I did help with expansion up here. Um, in addition, I opened the gas lamp location in July of last year. Wow. So, yeah, certainly a lot of expansion within the last year. Yeah. Um, we're, we're planning on opening more locations in Santa Monica, Brentwood, Pasadena, Culver City. And we've also been looking at locations in downtown L.A., so basically the entire county of Los Angeles is up for grabs, and we're trying to find the best uh, leasing opportunities we possibly can to put a burger lounge in your neighborhood. Nice. Well, I'm glad to hear that, and so I like certainly they're expanding over to the uh, east side, my area. Certainly the Pasadena one will be nice because that's, uh, that's right in my area. And do you know about that expansion as far as will we be able to see it in other cities too in the future? 
we, we've been looking in other markets, um, um, possibly Las Vegas, possibly the Bay Area, but logistically, um, doing things, a company doing things the right way. We don't over, we don't want to overextend ourselves to a region we can't properly manage um, and serve our fresh food because everything is hand produced. We hand patty our turkey. We hand patty our veggie patties. Um, our onion rings are made in-house along with the sauces. So logistically, having um, locations outside of a, um, a general driving area for, for us right now um, would be counterproductive and would actually hurt our brand and hurt our food. So we're always caring. Food is the most important thing in our restaurant along with our guest service. So we try to um, basically do things the right way and not overextend ourselves. And I think these, the small incremental steps from San Diego to Los Angeles, fill in the gaps with Orange County, and we'll work our way up to California. I think that's the best best way of doing it. Right. Well, I think certainly that makes sense because you don't want to compromise the product with too many expansions, as you do see with a lot of these chains. Do you think that the way it's been go- gone in L.A. has been the right increment, that it hasn't moved too fast? Oh, definitely. And uh, establishing yourself in a very competitive market um, can be very difficult. And by taking, you know, the, the proverbial baby steps um, has allowed us to very um, understand our, our clientele up here. They're different from San Diego. And uh, one of the things we've done is offer limited-time offers. So right now at the location in West Hollywood and soon-to-be Beverly Hills, we offer a grass-fed beef corn dog, which is made in-house, that is served with onion rings and a soda for ten ninety-five, And uh, it's a great product, and it, it, and, and it drives business in with having special offers, and uh, it's been a success thus far. Well, that sounds great. I certainly have noticed a couple of the specials, and I like the grass-fed corn dog because you do see a lot of grass-fed burger restaurants. You don't see as many grass-fed hot dogs, and so I think that's great to get in on that when it's early and that's still kind of a new thing. Another thing I noticed you were also offering the was the spicy burger at the West Hollywood location. Is that still yeah, going on? Yeah, there was a yes. The, the the website, the Thrill List, um, we partnered with to offer a secret menu item, which we call on the lounger menu. And what that was, was a, um, a spicy burger with asadero cheese, um, chili peppers, jalapenos, jalapeno relish. And, um, and it, it has been successful thus far. We are going to be moving into more limited time offers as well, like corn on the cob, wild boar burger, venison burger, buffalo burger, a mushroom-based veggie burger. So we have a lot to come in the, in the near future. Ah, uh, you're hitting on so many of my favorite things because, I mean, when I saw you're offering a spicy burger, because that is the way I like my burgers. I like a little spice on a little spicy sauce and some peppers. So that the one in LA did that, that's for me. And I do also, I do love game. I mean, I love wild boar and venison. So it seems like you're uh, hitting at everything that I want to see. Is there ever a chance that any of these special offers will become on the menu regularly? You know, that all depends. For In the beginning, our Wild Alaskan Salmon Burger was a uh, limited-time offer um, for our San Diego locations. And it became um, so so highly regarded and ordered so, so, so frequently that as the public demanded it, we've had to put it on our menu. And if our guests desire it that much, we do things for our guests, that we're a guest-driven organization. And uh, if they speak, we listen. That sounds good. So most of these have been in L.A. Are you going to start offering some ones in the San Diego area too? 
Yes, we will. Um, we, we've got some feedback on our social media sites like Facebook and Twitter demanding that they offer the same um, special offers that we do in L.A. So, yeah, many of the locations will be offering the grass-fed uh, corn dog and other limited-time offers very soon. That sounds good. And so is a, is a lot of these kind of a thing to work with the Internet kind of people that go on the Internet, they, they learn about it, where it's not necessarily put on the menu, it's secret, sort of like kind of like an In-N-Out in animal style? Well, our, our original plans were with the Thrillist, that would become a secret menu item. Um, but now we're just going to go company-wide and offer um, a new item every single month um, that will create a buzz and things that our guests actually email us about, leave on comment cards. We like to, you know, we like to do things for our guests, and by doing that, um, it um, shows loyalty and guest appreciation and something that we feel is very important. Right, certainly. Um, that's understandable. Um, and now I know, because Adam, I know, talked about um, last time that they, you also, you didn't want to go overboard with the types of burgers that you offer of one of these places, you know, these places that offer like a peanut butter and jelly burger or anything. So is there sort of a point where you, where you have to look and say, are we doing too many of these special offers? And well, it's um, it's a thing where we order a specific amount of products for our special offers, and once we run out, we run out. Uh, it is a limited time offer, so we, with all our burgers, it's simplicity. We offer the same lettuce, tomato, house-made Thousand Island, your choice of organic cheese, American or white cheddar, um, on basically every burger, and that allows us to produce them at a much um, uh, more e- uh, easier scale, scalability-wise, than having you know, 20 different sauces, 20 different cheeses, 20 different toppings. And I think you can get out of hand um, if, if, it's, if it's not managed appropriately. But by only um, ordering a specific amount per day that we can base on the previous day sales, I think we can really control that, um, that, that chaos with, uh, you know, having, you know, too many options, which can, confu- can confuse the guest and even, you know, employees who have to make make this food on a daily basis. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's got to be expensive to some of these places that make all these types. I mean, of how do you have the inventory for all of that? Is some of this also kind of a test to see what employees, or I mean, not employees, what um, what customers would be interested in getting for future? Yeah, of course, and um, it gives us a sense of um, of what the market is especially in Los Angeles, where we're very new to it, uh, we need all the feedback we can get. And any, any improvements and advancements we can get within our food and our organization, um, we're, all, we're always just we're searching for those. And by offering limited time offers, each come with a comment card. Like you can give your feedback in-store, and those go to our corporate office, which are um, looked over. And then within our organization, our executive chefs and culinary director, um, decide new recipes and um, uh, further ordering this if, if it is a popular demanded item. Right. So now now you have a couple in Los Angeles. Um, and has there been any kind of um, difference you noticed in opening one in Beverly Hills versus West Hollywood? No, actually, they're very similar. Um, both these neighborhoods are very uh, strict um, with building permits and health inspections and anything else that would, um, you know, demand um, um, uh, licensing in these neighborhoods. Um, where we're looking at trouble is Santa Monica. Santa Monica is um, 
they have the most uh, permit requests, inspections, et cetera. That's where the, the difficulty of uh, opening a restaurant will probably be. But um, both Beverly Hills and uh, West Hollywood have been uh, fairly easy to open it. Oh, that's that's good to know. And certainly that doesn't surprise me about Santa Monica because I, mean, I, I admire, though, that you're going for that as one of the first locations because there have been some chains where I've seen that they haven't opened in Santa Monica till kind of later on when they've had already so many chains. Um, that's good to know. Um, as far as the layout for the Beverly Hills one, would that be similar to the layout of the West Hollywood one? No, our uh, Beverly Hills location will be a little bit of a smaller build-out. Um, it's very reminiscent of our first location in La Jolla, California. Um, it'll seat at roughly about 35 people inside and about another 30 outside. So it's going to be a, a mainly a, an outdoor patio seating restaurant, but it has great open windows, very good lighting, and it's on a great corner location on 281 South Beverly Drive and Gregory Way. Um, and we're very pleased to be in the neighborhood of, uh, and on South Beverly. Right. Well, certainly Beverly Drive is a great place for restaurants. I mean, a lot of a lot of good ones there. Um, so that's certainly a good location. Um, when you look at these locations, do you look at all as far as if there are other burger places? Is it a thing of trying to go where it's populated for a burger? Do you try to kind of set out where there's not too many already in the area? No, not at all. I think I, we always worry about our, our, ourselves. And I think that's the only, only, the only thing you can really can control is, is your company and your business practices. And when looking for locations, we look for high, um, high foot traffic areas. Um, in, adi- in addition, um, locations that are on cor- corner streets where we can get two um, ways of traffic coming at our locations. And those are the best ways. And, and in the real estate business, location, location, location is, is key. And uh, we base strictly on location, and um, I wouldn't say affordability, but good deals. We're in a business here, and we're not going to overspend on anything, just like our food. Um, We work our our hardest to get the best uh, pricing on our food so we can offer, I guess, competitive prices in the market. And if we didn't do the same within our real estate and leasing, um, we would have to offer our food at a higher price because we're not making as best business practices to save as much money as possible. Mm-hmm. Do you also look in a way to see, because certainly yours has, I think, the uh, distinction and what, what I like the best about it and over other places, that it has a commitment to sustainability and to the environment. Do you try to find areas where you think people would be the most interested in going to somewhere that's that has that commitment and they'd be glad to know that? Yeah, we've, all, we've always tried to improve our um, sustainability practices, recycling, composting. And when I first started the organization four years ago, um, we were a green, we were beginning to become a green certified restaurant. Um, we also did recycling, but since then we've we've really stepped our games up. With majority of our buildouts um, use recycled and sustainable friendly materials. For instance, our tabletops are all made out of recycled plastic. Um, in addition, a lot of our tiling. The brick is all recycled material. Um, in addition, we do composting in all of our San Diego locations, soon-to-be L.A. locations. And the farm that receives our compost um, is a small uh, organic mushroom farm on the border of uh, San Diego and Mexico. And we're very, very proud to help 
serve a nonprofit organization um, rather than giving it to someone who's going to make a profit on it. I love that about the tabletops because certainly on this show we've talked about how so many food can come in plastic packaging and just wanting to avoid plastics. And that's very much a solution I have, I think, for what we should do with plastics is recycle it into something like a tabletop because, I mean, you know, it, we have a lot of plastic and it wouldn't make a lot of sense to just throw out all of this plastic because that's going to be on earth for years. So I do suggest making it into things that we can use for a long time, like a tabletop. I mean, that can last, you know, years and years. So that's wonderful, certainly, to hear that that you do that. Um, another thing I like about your restaurant is that the fries are actually cooked in peanut oil because so many of these restaurants, it's very hard to find ones that don't cook it in type of these vegetable oils. Or the lards or the, the bacon, the bacon grease, et cetera. Yeah. Um, well, we pride ourselves in trying to offer superior products and, and, and peanut oil is a superior product. It, it's healthier for you. It tastes better. Um, and it's refined. So, um, it is, it's less, um, it's less likely to cause an allergic reaction with someone that has peanut allergies. And that's one of the other uh, regrets of also offering peanut oil that it does, um, some of the cats do suffer from that due to the fact that there is a prevalent peanut allergy in the United States right now. But um, unfortunately, the majority at times is who we serve, and uh, we have to be keen to um, practice uh, and use the best uh, uh, quality products we can. And peanut oil is, and until we do something better, uh, we're sticking with it. Right. Um, Yeah, that was actually another question I had was about if that um, comes up with people and allergies because – for me, as I'm very, as I know a lot about the oils and have learned what kind of the ones that we've thought are bad that, that um, you know, actually, as I found, really aren't. Um, at these other restaurants, they say, oh, it's not peanut oil, which is kind of like I figured they're probably concerned about allergies. And so I say, okay, well, it's not. Well, what oil is it? And a lot of times I hear soy and – or also corn oil, which is interesting to know that, you know, they're so scared about peanut allergies, but there are corn and soy allergies too and – the problem with like these corn and soy oils is that they're very high in omega sixes. Um, I know as far as other oils, because certainly I would say peanut oil is good. I mean, there's other ones like I don't know if you've looked into all, like doing like something like an avocado oil or um, olive oil, um, coconut oil. It, 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 that goes back, and we, and we certainly could use some of those pro- those products, but. Again, talking about pricing and, and being a, a, a good practicing business is it's not practical to use those types of oils. Um, whereas peanut oil is an expensive oil, but it's reasonable enough that um, we can achieve the, the food quality that we want from our fries and um, allow um, a certain price point to remain for, for selling them. And um, and that's one of the most important things is, is not um, – putting ourselves out of a, out of a profitable range um, for our food. In addition, doing a disservice to the guests by having to raise the price due to using an exotic oil like truffle oil, um, whereas we're a high-volume restaurant. Um, if we were a specialty restaurant um, that offered limited portion of fries, we certainly could do something like that. But peanut oil is such a high quality and achieves such a great flavor profile. We're, we're very, very uh, pleased to offer it to our guests. Okay, so peanut oil kind of for its price is uh, is kind of and 
it's healthiness is the best one, which is um, that's certainly interesting. Now, I know that there's been um, work on getting a liquor license for the locations here. How is that coming along? You know what? We about, about a month ago, we received our liquor license, our beer line for the West Hollywood location. Um, we're very pleased to offer three uh, regional craft beers. Um, we're offering right now from San Diego, Green Flashes, West Coast IPA, which is an award-winning IPA. Golden Road, which is a local Los Angeles brewery, their Golden Road Heppenweizen, and also another a regional favorite, um, Hangar 24s out of Redland, California, um, their Hell's Lager. So, yeah, we're, uh, we're very pleased, and sales have been great, and we're excited to offer those options to our guests now. Right, and how about the Beverly Hills location? Will that have the, the alcohol also? Um, we, we will be offering beer and wine eventually. Uh, the, the liquor license is in. Um, it's a matter of now going through the bureaucratic process of um, achieving that. It'll, it'll be a month or two away, I believe. Well, that's good. So a shorter wait than we had in the West Hollywood one, certainly. Yeah, Which once you nice. get one up here, it's a little easier to get the next one. <laughs> Well, that makes sense. So just kind of, it's kind of getting into the club is the hardest part of it. Exactly, exactly. And um, so one of the reasons why we had issues in West Hollywood is that um, the a few of the locals that lived above the restaurant on top of the, um, in, in the hills on Sunset um, petitioned it. So the, the legal process had to um, go through the, the normal channels of appeals and hearings and we finally um, were, were licensed to sell beer and wine here in, uh, on Sunset. Well, that's good. And so for the other ones opening, we can expect uh, liquor license pretty soon after opening. Uh, yes, but in Santa Monica may be an issue again just because there are so many businesses that do offer um, beer, wine, and liquor. Um, and in the more highly um, congested restaurant areas, um, you do sometimes um, have to wait a little longer due to the fact that there are so many that offer alcohol. Um, but uh, I, I believe it, it'll come just as um, just as long as it probably came in West Hollywood. And for all of them, do you keep it simple, just three beers on tap? Yeah, correct. We'll have three draft beers, and we'll offer a red and a white um, wine as well. Oh, wow. And now... For the uh, grass-fed beef, where do you get that from? We're very proud to source our grass-fed beef from a single-source ranch in Missouri. Uh, the, uh, the company we use is Rain Crow Ranch, and they're located in uh, Dolophane, Missouri, in the southern Ozarks. And they have a free-range organic uh, grass-fed beef ranch, um, and um, it's family-owned and operated. Uh, the, the operators... The, the woman who's uh, the main owner was a veterinarian and professor of veterinarian science at the University of Tennessee, and her husband uh, studied business and agriculture business. Um, so they're they're a very good uh, pair um, to run a to run a gra- grass-fed beef um, ranch. That sounds like that. Yeah, certainly that sounds like a great supplier. So you look a lot at very much trying to find like the most sustainable type of grass-fed beef ranch. Well, we, we, when we were, um, for, for a long time, we offered tall grass beef, a, mm-hmm. a brand out of Sedan, uh, Kansas. And the owner operator of that was uh, the actor narrator Bill Curtis. Um, and 
since we've been growing, um, we had to we had to begin to source another vendor for grass-fed beef. If there was a tornado in Kansas or a um, an, uh, a gas crisis where they couldn't ship the beef from the Midwest to here, so we investigated several different ranches. And our culinary director Jim Little um, visited several, and the one that he had the the best time at and 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 felt uh, practice. Um, the best um, humane, sustainable um, ways of harvesting the, the cattle. We chose Ranco Ranch, and uh, they're a very well-run organiz- uh, organization. Um, their financers are very in order. They produce high-quality um, ground grass-fed beef to our specifications, and they have great communication with our company, and those are things we really va- we really value, and and you can't take for um, take for granted. Certainly, yes, I'd, I'd heard that about tall grass fed beef that um, that they had certainly some issues and weren't getting the uh, the supply out. So certainly, no, I'm glad to hear that you're able to find another one that uh, that had those standards. Um, that certainly. Good to know. Um, are there other ways you're working on making it more sustainable in the future? What, for, for, the gra- for the grass-fed beef? Oh, uh, just for the restaurant in, in, general. in general. Yeah, Yeah. well, um, it's a thing where we have gone to more recycled materials in our to-go packaging. Um, we're using unbleached um, uh, paper, degrease uh, paper for our um, fry pans and our to-go uh, fry kids packaging so we're always trying to um, evolve in the sustainable game and one of the other ways of doing that is using biodiesel in our trucks which we do in San Diego in addition to that uh, composting that will become that will be coming to LA very soon and uh, we're very pleased to continue that practice of uh, composting because it it does a lot of good for uh, us we don't have to throw it away and it doesn't go to waste in addition to that, it uh, it helps out nonprofit organizations, which we uh, we love to partner with. Right. So now, did you need to get the composting? Was that like a process of getting it approved? Um, it's not necessarily getting approved. It's just doing it the right way. Um, if you put um, items into your compost that will not compost, it can it can mess up the whole the whole batch. So, with more of training our employees, what can go into our compost bins. And uh, so it actually would be used appropriately. And um, it's, it's, there's not many guidelines for it other than keeping it sealed for smell. Uh, and that's probably for your own purposes because you don't want a stinky restaurant. And that's, that's very important. But, um, no, it's not too hard to, to achieve and uh, to establish in your restaurant. All right. So it's just the thing you didn't start right away because it involves training of the employees in order to get it done right. Correct, and yeah, we're we're doing it with a private organization, not a not a government organization. So there's there's less uh, loopholes you have to, or less hoops you have to jump through. Well, that's good. Yeah, so that, I mean that makes sense. Uh, don't go with the government, which certainly I think uh, with the uh, the mantra of this radio station, uh, I think uh, certainly listeners they'll go over well with them about that, and certainly also good to help out nonprofit and. I know also there's talk about doing deals where, like, if you bike or walk there, you get discounts. Has that gone into effect? Um, uh, we haven't done any of those yet, but our social marketing team is always looking at cool um, 
events and those those that I would say in, in America today we have all these um, hallmark uh, holidays that pop up every single year. Um, so we'd like to have fun with them and use social media as a tool to drive in business and, and uh, have some fun. And in the past, we've done giveaways of free burgers. We did one on National Hamburger Day where um, on Memorial Day, uh, we offered a, any of our burgers for free. No questions, no, no, no uh, rules or tricks involved. Come in and you get a burger. And uh, it was it was highly successful. And we had a line out the door from 10.30 a.m. to about 9, 9.30 p.m. So we, we had a fun time. And... Uh, People got to try the burger on us, and I think that goes a long way in the guest eyes. Right, certainly free uh, free giveaway days are always good. I mean, you see a lot of places doing that now. And I know, was it last year in San Diego there was a grass-fed beef week? Yeah, that was National Grass-Fed Beef Week, and um, we offered uh, free grass-fed beef burgers for that week and uh, also did a partnership with some other restaurants to, to drive business into all the the local businesses that did offer grass-fed beef. Right. Did they have that this year? I, um, I believe, I'm not sure. Um, I, I think it might be later in the year. Uh, those kind of things are not a set week. They like to do it. I think oh, okay. pick based on the, the industry. But um, I, 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 for my knowledge, they will, should be having it again. Mm-hmm. Was that initiated by Burger Lounge, grass-fed beef week? No, no, no. I, I think that was a... Um, um, a grass-fed beef uh, uh, organization that um, that started that, and uh, I think they they do have those in other cities across the country. Okay, that's that's good to know because yeah, I know they had it last week. I've been I've been looking for it this, and certainly I think it would be great um, for LA. I think it would be gr- great to do it also for grass-fed beef week. I'm not sure if they've done it before in LA. Um, that's something that um, I would speak to my owners about. And, uh, we would we would love to get involved with. Um, an organization that would that would help promote and market that. So that's something in the future that we would look into, definitely. Right. Well, certainly, uh, yeah, we'll have to see about that because I know it's uh, that's certainly been a thing. Um, is there talk also, in addition to uh, in terms of sustainability, is there talk also about offering some other like uh, healthier options in the restaurant as well? Well, with having a limited menu, um, we've always tried to um, add value to our foods. So whenever we've... Um, have the ability to buy organic greens or organic vegetables, we do so. Um, but I think we just did a little bit. We offered, we, about a month ago, we, we got our organic quinoa salad up here in the LA market. And it's a great option where if you do not add the feta cheese, it's vegan. The dressing, the tomato, basil, mm-hmm. vinaigrette is a vegan option. But it's great. Um, it's a hand tossed, handmade salad with um, organic quinoa. Uh, we have organic spinach, baby kale, and arugula, and we have a we pair it with um, or, uh, roasted baby squash, zucchini, tomatoes, toasted almonds, red onions, corn, and carrots, and uh, it's become a, uh, a guest favorite in, in, in the last few weeks here. Nice. And this is this going to be a regular on the menu? It is a it's our it's our it's our new main salad on the menu along with the fresh vegetable salad. Mm-hmm. Our baby romaine salad has been uh, taken off the menu and is put onto our secret menu. Aha! So the secret so menu. We're all, we're, no, sorry, oh no! Say what you're gonna say. 
Oh, I was going to say, so those are things that we took a long time to put that style together. It may seem simple, but by making it scalable to our locations, it was very, very important to make sure we were putting the right ingredients in that the guests would, uh, would, would really enjoy. And once you put something on the menu, you hope it stays and sticks. And we would, we would feel, we would feel like failures if, uh, if, if, if it wasn't, um, loved by our guests so we took a lot of time to put that on the menu right now as far as the organic vegetables how do you source those it's a kind of a different way of sourcing it than the the meat or is it kind of the same way um it 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 depends when they're available um and 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 it sticks with a price point but uh we are always trying to upgrade our, our product and at times uh when we first started they were not organic greens and now they are uh we we offered organic quinoa. Um, that was a new step up for us as well. And it's basically depending on our, our supplier's um, allotment. Mm-hmm. And do you try to go with local or do you go more with kind of suppliers that can provide the most for a large group of people? As local as possible. Um, right now in, in California and the United States, there's a drought. So a lot of our vegetables are, are, are coming from all over the place. But Burger Lounge uses local produce companies like Specialty Produce in San Diego and Worldwide Produce in Los Angeles that offer the, um, the, the your, your best source of uh, regional uh, produce available. I like to address that. Certainly the drought, that is a big issue in the food world and certainly sheds light a lot on the problems of you know, what happens with climate change. Has that affected you in any way of the drought? Well, I, um, we're seeing a increase in our, uh, in our beef, uh, price. We're seeing an increase in milk and other produce. So yes, you are. It's not, it's, it's not earth shattering, but it's enough to, to raise an eyebrow. And it, it's something to, to be aware of, um, in future when other restaurants will raise their prices. But Burger Lounge is very committed to, um, keeping their prices as is. And, uh, I think they're very, they're very, uh, um, there's a lot of value in our, in our in our price point, and we're very proud to serve a burger that's under eight dollars. I think so too. Yes, yeah, certainly. I've seen a lot more expensive burgers, especially in a place like LA. You certainly can see that. For an eight dollar burger is, I mean, compared to a lot of these gourmet burgers, that's a very good deal. And it is a thing that a lot of people aren't aware of the increased cost of food that, I mean, I've read that actually it's increasing at a rate higher than gasoline, which is where we've been paying all the attention to it. Um, do you try to also like look at what the other restaurants, what they're charging and so, so can, you know, Sears can be competitive, but also be a good deal for what people are getting? Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure our, our marketing team um, has looked at other people's pricing, but as a, we always like consistency in our business, and with opening multiple locations, and um, we have to make sure the brand doesn't suffer the consequences of changing the price point in one reason for another. If you're going to be a, uni- uh, a uniform organization that has the same menu, the same training practices, the same business practices, you see, you sort of need to stay consistent with your pricing um, at every location. And we would hate for guests that came into San Diego 
to realize that the burger costs $2 more in Los Angeles. And so that's why we do that. Um, we do not want to do anything to offset or uh, negatively um, turn away guests. And we're in the people business, and that's the most important aspect of our business, to keep our guests happy and to serve them great quality, authentic food they can feel good about. So, no, we, we think about ourselves and our guests only, not, not about any of our competitors. Mm-hmm. And you would describe business as fast casual, so I think um, you know, a lot of you know, like me certainly as a foodie know what that means. Could you kind of explain a little what, how you define fast casual? Yeah, definitely. Um, fast casual is a it is it's been it was born out of fast food restaurants, but instead of just getting your food and not getting any service and then just worrying about uh, t- ticket counts, we have interjected a lot of service and genuine hospitality into the into the practice. So fast casual in, in our restaurant means you come in to a register where a greeter will welcome you into the restaurant, um, take your order. He or she will be very knowledgeable about uh, the food, about the business, and about the location. Thereafter, you will receive a table number where you can sit down in any of our booths, um, tabletops, countertops, and uh, you will receive full service thereafter, where we will bring you your soda refill, your ketchup and napkins, remove plates that are now finished. So we're always exceeding expectations, and I think that's what fast casual is these days, is that you don't have a server, but you still get treated the same way as if you were at a, a full a service restaurant. That certainly that's a good explanation of, of what it is. Um, was there a certain type of restaurant that kind of or types of restaurants that you modeled the burger lounge after when it started? Um, I wouldn't say we we've modeled it after any any particular restaurant, but um, I would say if anything, we have we've we've improved the design from other restaurants. Um, just from my own personal opinion, uh, uh, restaurants like Payway, which is owned by uh, P.F. Chang's uh, company. Um, they offer a fast, casual dining environment, but without this, the extra service. And, um, and, and they don't refill your drinks, et cetera. And those are things that we've looked at in, in organizations like that and um, other fast, casual burger joints where what can we do to improve ourselves? What can we do for the guests to make them feel like it adds more value to the 795 burger they just purchased? Um, we're always looking out for them. And uh, I think it's, like, like I said earlier, um, we can only improve ourselves. Can't, we can't do anything else to our competitors, and it's, it's pretty irrelevant. So we focus on ourselves as much as possible. That is a good point you bring up because yeah, a lot about the refills. Because a lot of fast casual, I mean, I've often a lot of times thought, well, fast casual means that, like, they don't have it pre-made, but kind of, they, you know, you they call your number up, but then kind of once uh, – once you get the food, then they just kind of move on to the next. And I think that that certainly gives your place kind of uh, a niche in that is that you also the waiters uh, still service the people after, after the food's come out. And I think in some ways uh, I would say it even kind of uh, puts it into uh, something higher than fast casual, kind of puts it into uh, some ways I would say uh, a level of its own because I'm trying to think what other fast casual restaurants, I mean, offer as much of like, than kind of the wait service after you order. Yeah, you know, I, we, we'd like to pride ourselves in, in doing things different, but also doing things the right way. And 
I always keep always focusing on the guests while they are in the restaurant and making sure their food is to our standard every single time. You know, we can consistently produce a great dining experience that does not have, um, you know, doesn't have to take 45 minutes to uh, from the, the food to be ordered to, to get it on your plate, on your table. And we pride ourselves in getting, getting the guests food within 10 minutes. In many cases, it takes five minutes to, to cook, the, uh, cook the burger and, and, and serve it to them. So that, there's a lot of value in, in getting food quickly, but still remaining high quality and, and using fresh ingredients. Oh, that's good. Um, now, as uh, you talk about possibly in the future expanding more into other areas, do you ever see it um, becoming a thing where as it expands into a lot of different areas, possibly different states, that you would – source some of the ingredients from different areas per the location? Um, you know, I, that's a good question. But uh, I think as we grow, um, it, it'll be done in, in, in incremental, incremental steps that allow us to develop partnerships with our vendors. And we pride ourselves in having great relationships where um, we do as much for them as they can do for us. And uh, I think we would take our time um, sourcing the, the highest quality produce um, and, and or other um, uh, beef, turkey, um, and our uh, poultry um, for, for the best uh, for the best reasons is that it has to be fresh. It has to be to our to our standard. And um, I think as as we grow, we, we will find those vendors and, and or find vendors that can accommodate uh, larger regions and distribution, and then we'll go from there. Right. Well, certainly, that's that's good to know. So. Um... Well, we've got to go to our desserts in a second, but um, just before uh, we go, tell us uh, you know, the date and time that the Burger Lounge in Beverly Hills is going to open, and tell us the website where we can find the Burger Lounge. Warren, I want to thank you for the opportunity of having me on, first and foremost. Um, but yes, our Beverly Hills location will open on July 25th, and it's located on 281 South Beverly Drive in Beverly Hills. So please do come out. Um, we do not do grand openings or balloons on the wall. We open the doors, turn the grills on, and, and we get ready to cook high-quality food for our, our deserving guests. And um, the website is www.burgerlounge.com, and please check it out. All our locations are listed, um, including the website location, which has free parking and is open late on Fridays and Saturdays. We'd love to see you, um, all, all the guests of Los Angeles come to both locations very soon. So no soft open and official open, just kind of uh, it opens and people can uh, come you know, and check it out. As soon as, soon as, we're, as, soon as we're permitted to o- open the doors and uh, we have everything ready to go, yep, the doors come open and the grills turn on. Well, that's good. So, you know, any listeners, you know, if you go just when it opens, uh, you're going to essentially what is the official open and and that so it's been great to have you here and look forward to checking out the location in beverly hills and look forward to checking out the locations in other areas in la to come and hopefully other you know other parts of california other and other states across the u.s so thank you for being on well, thank you i appreciate it all right okay and now for our desserts which is how to live appropriately in the upcoming week with foie gras being banned at the beginning of this month, restaurants continue finding creative ways to serve it. Hermosa Beach restaurant Hot's Kitchen serves foie gras as free side dishes. 
Now, until July 27th, is Dine LA Restaurant Week. There are special offers for two-course lunch menus and three-course dinner menus at many of the sustainable restaurants, such as Ammo, Parkway Grill, Border Grill, Haven Gastropub, The Little Door, Taste on Melrose, and Wilshire. And finally, you heard our guest, Rory O'Dell, talk about the Burger Lounge opening in Beverly Hills. I just want to take the time to plug it again. That's uh, The guest address is 281 South Beverly Drive, and the website for that is burgerlounge.com. So hopefully, uh, perhaps I will see you there when uh, I go, and you can say, hey, it's the appropriate omnivore. That's all for this week of the show. To find out more about my guest, the news stories, and the events happening this week, visit my blog at appropriateomnivore.blogspot.com. 